Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Church today. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to have you with us. And uh, we want to welcome everyone. Can we welcome everyone at our Germantown campus, our West campus, our Appleton campus, our online campus, at all the campuses. Can we give a big welcome this morning? At Life Church, we're locate, we are committed to one church in multiple locations, and that continues to grow as God continues to open the doors. It's so exciting to see what God does. I believe that uh, video is a stained glass of the 21st century, and so we leverage technology in order to share the message and the love of Jesus Christ. And thank you for being that kind of church that gets it uh, and that gives your time and your talent and your treasure to get the great Get the good news out to fulfill the Great Commission. Well, today we are beginning the second part of our four-week series on re. And the prefix re means to go again or to go back. And, uh, and so we're looking at words in Scripture that I think are transformational in our journey in following Jesus uh, that begin with re. And last week we talked about review. And the word review simply means to, to go back and to examine, to inspect, uh, to critically evaluate something. And so I challenged you last week to look back over the last 12 months of your life. Some of you do that instinctively and reflexively. Others of you, that might have been a new exercise. And go back and, and look at what God's done. Look at what he's, he's, he's been to you. Uh, look at the struggles and the decisions and the things, some things that you didn't get to that you want to get to in 2014, some of the things that you, didn't, that, that you did that you'd never do again. Uh, that's important to look and to review and to, and, to, and to look at all of that. And probably over the course of this past week, if you've actually done that exercise, there have been some things that you go, man, I'll never want to do that again. Some mistakes that have been made, some decisions that were poor, some missteps that you had, and uh, maybe even the, the big S word, sin. Some of you thought I was going to say something else, but no, sin. And it's something we don't talk a lot about, but it's something that there are times where we cross lines and we sin. And, and even on our best days, we, we fail. We're, we're, we're human and we're flawed. And that doesn't give us a license to sin, but it does give us a reason. And you have a decision when you, when you encounter sin in your life or a mistake in your life or a wrong decision in your life. You can either have remorse and feel sorry for yourself or you can change. You, you can either be remorseful and feel sorry or you can change. And remorse isn't bad, but remorse doesn't do anything. Feeling sorry for yourself or feeling sorry about the situation doesn't change anything. And, and I know we can't undo the past, but sometimes until we face reality of something that we've done wrong, uh, we, we can face condemnation or, or guilt that leads us to remorse, but it doesn't do anything to change the situation. And I meet a lot of people who are remorseful, who are sorry, but they, just, but they don't realize that remorse or being sorry for it doesn't change. It doesn't do anything. And, and I know that you can't uncheat the business partner that you cheated, and you can't unsleep with the person that you slept with, and you can't untell the lie, but you can change. And that's what I want to talk about today. The Bible gives us a word. It's used 101 times in Scripture. It's called repentance. Repentance. Uh, it's a word that's some of you are going, okay, he's going to go O-line, clothesline, O-school, hellfire and brimstone, let it fall down, a little, a little uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God. But the word repentance really means this, to turn or to change. In and of itself, it means to turn or to change. 
And so when you look at it in the context of a poor decision, a mistake, or even sin, what it means is that you turn away from that poor decision. You turn away from that mistake. You turn away from that sin or that action or that activity. And you change, which means you don't go back to. You change. And the context of the Bible, when we're talking about repentance, it's, it's talking about breaking the, God's laws. And, and when you break God's laws, that's what sin is, is God gives us his, the Bible. And when we violate Scripture, when we break the laws of God, then that is sin in our lives. And the beautiful thing about the Bible is God is not some cosmic killjoy that just wants to rain on your parade from the heavenlies. He is a redemptive, restorative, loving, merciful, gracious God. And he gives us mechanisms or best practices that allow us, if we will apply them to our lives, to come in and basically to make changes. And the, one of the ways that he does that is this word repentance. And so, again, I said repentance means to turn or to change. Let me show you this in Scripture. Now, I'm going to give you a ton of Scripture today. So if you want to write things down, probably a dozen to a half, to a dozen and a half different Scripture uh, uh, passages. I'm going to eventually wind up in Matthew chapter 3, if you want to go there, Matthew chapter 3. But uh, you may want to jot some of these things down. And again, this message will be online. Uh, you can go to lifechurchwi.com and download the message and uh, on Sunday evening, it's actually going to be here at the end of the day today. And so you can check this out. But turn, Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent, then turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that the times of refreshing from the Lord may come. Turn, turn to God and repent. The, the, the word change, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be shaped by this world. Instead, be changed by a new way of thinking, when you are able to decide what God wants for you, then you will know what is good and pleasing to him and what is perf perfect. So again, scripture, and these are just, I could give you a gazillion passages on this. I'm just kind of trying to, ma to maximize our time. But to repent means to turn or to change. Now, I've been raised in church all my life. I've heard preachers just like go off on this. And get the whole, well, uh, and I'm just going to tell you. Uh, and they're just breathing uh, like this. Uh, and when I went to Bible college, I thought, did they teach a class on how to talk like that? Because it's not natural. You know? Right? And they used to hear the big microphones. And they flail the cord. And they had the big muffs on the microphone. You know, like, that is so distracting. Uh, and so I'm not going to go off on you, okay? <laughs> what I am going to do is... is they would tell you what this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong. And here's the thing about sin. You know if you cross the line. Do you really need me to show you what's wrong and what's not wrong? No, you're, you're not stupid. So, and, and me beating you down doesn't help you. And some of, some of us used to think, well, the worse I feel in church, the more holy I am before God. Like it's some perverted type of penance that you do before God if you feel like a hill when you leave church. Or some of the other ones of you go, well, if I didn't understand anything the pastor said, that must have been deep, really deep. Do you understand it? No. Were you confused? Yes. But man, it was deep, wasn't it? It doesn't do anything for you. So what I want to do is I want to unpackage this on how do you repent? What's the process? Now, I'm going to tell you, it's very deep. So you got to hang with me. Very heady, very theological. You ready for this? You want to repent? First of all, you got to admit it. And these are all going to rhyme today. I'm, no, I'm in a mood, right? It's alliterated. So admit it. By admit it, what do I mean? What does scripture say about it? Well, first of all, there's two parts to admitting it. One is confession. 
And, and the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and righteous or faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word all in the original language, in the original Greek, means all. I know that's deep. But it means everything. There's not a sin that you commit that God will not forgive you of. And so I know somebody's going, well, isn't there the thing called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and the unpardonable sin? Yes, but when you're at that point, you're not asking God for forgiveness. As long as you want to ask God for forgiveness, you've not crossed that line. Does that help you? So don't get all wigged out about that. Oh, I think I'm at the unpardonable sin. I think I'm out of blaspheme the Holy Spirit and I'm going to go to hell forever. No, 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 no. The fact that you have any type of conviction tells us that you have not crossed that line. Okay, so don't wig out on me. Whatever that you're facing, whatever you've done, however big, however small, whatever it may be, if you will go to Jesus and simply confess, God, I did, God, I crossed, God, I said, God, I, whatever it is, he is always faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's why he came. Look, if we could save ourselves, God wouldn't have sent his only son. We can't save ourselves. We are hopeless and helpless. Get over it. Go to Lowe's, get a ladder, get over yourself. That's who we are. And so what we do, though, is that we, when we cross the line, when we sin, what we need to do is admit it and just say, God, I have. He already knows it. And then simply admit that and confess that sin. Now, you don't confess it to a man. You don't need to come confess it to me. I know some of you come from traditions that say, well, you need to go to a priest or to a pastor. Listen, there is no man on the face of this planet that can absolve your sins or take your sins away. That type of ideology holds no theological water. Show me chapter and verse. There is none. The Bible says in the Old Testament they had to go before the priest, and the priest went to God, and God absolved their sins. But, but the Word of God says that when Jesus Christ came, which is the good news, that when he came, he became our high priest. The book of Hebrews says that we can boldly go to the throne of grace, to Jesus Christ, and obtain mercy, obtain grace for our sins and our transgressions at any point and at any time. So that when we confess our sins to Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. I can't forgive you of your sins. A priest cannot forgive you of your sins. Some other pastor cannot forgive you of your sins. Only he can. Now, the second part of admitting it is to depend upon God's goodness. And this is hard for some of us. Because we, we want to feel bad, and we think if we feel bad or if we have to do some kind of consequence that, and there is consequences for our sins, you know, laws of physics. Every action is an equal and opposite reaction. So all truth on the planet is God's truth, okay? So I know it doesn't have a chapter and verse for, you know, laws of physics, but it's the truth, and, and it's the way God designed the earth. And, and the bottom line is sometimes we think that if I did this, I know God forgives me, and I know all of this, but, but I need to feel bad for a while. And I think you should have remorse. I think there should be conviction. I think there should be a certain amount of contrition that's there. I'm not saying that, but I am saying at some point you have to just depend upon his goodness. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not from works, which means anything you could do, so that none of us can boast. So when you come before God and you admit your sin, your fault, or your failure, understand the ground's leveled to the foot of the cross. It's by grace that we've been saved. Period. Nothing I can do. I can't add to it. When Jesus, before he died on the cross, he uttered the words, it is finished. Which means you can't add to it. I can't add to it. There's nothing I can do. 
God doesn't want me to grovel. God's not asking me to beg. God's not asking me to plead. He is asking me to be humble, to humble myself, to come unto him, to fall on his gracious mercy, confess my sins, and ask him to forgive me. And he will every single time. Admit it. Ready for the second, so the second way to, to repent? The second part of repentance? All right, this is deep. Ready? Quit it. I know, this is really deep today, isn't it? But you'll remember this, and this is good because these are actions because we all need to go through repentance from time to time. Admit it and quit it. Quit it. What do you need to quit? Well, the Bible's pretty straightforward about this. First of all, you need to end worldly connections. I know that sounds a little old school, but the Bible basically breaks life into good and bad, uh, spirit and, 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 and evil, right? Uh, the, the, the world and and, and God. And to be worldly from the context of Scripture is something that is negative. It's something that is, it is, uh, it's sinful, it's fleshly, it's, 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 it's humanistic. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, this is a verse that's usually used a lot of times when you're dealing with people that are dating someone and want to marry someone that's not a Christ follower and they're a Christ follower, but it means more than that. Look at this. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Don't be unequally connected in relationship with unbelievers. For what fellowship uh, has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What Paul's saying there is, yes, that does apply, that you shouldn't marry someone that, that doesn't, that's, you're a Christ follower and they're not. There's no such thing as missionary dating. Sorry. But right, you, you don't, oh, I'm just going to lead them to Jesus. No, they're going to send you to hell is what's going to happen. Or you're going to wind up in a relationship that you're going to be, uh, your kids are going to be really schizophrenically jacked up because they don't know what to believe because they're having two sets of values. And, and that's a whole other message for a whole other day. But more than that, what it's talking about is your connections, the people that you hang with. You know, who are your boys? Who are the people that you run with? Who are the people that you're in tight relationship? This is not saying that you go to your office, your place of business, or whatever you do and go, you know what? I'm light and you are darkness. I am righteous and you are evil. Stay away from me. My pastor says, I can't have fellowship with you. I, I don't even need to, to be around the water cooler at the same time that you are. Light and dark, good and you're bad. If you become light, we may be able to talk, but until then, there's a separation. That's not what it means. What it means is, it, it means, and it doesn't mean too, this is sometimes two people go, well, the world has a way. It's the same, I get that same voice. And, uh, you know, come out from among you and be them separate, and, you know, and you're a peculiar people. And some people take that, and they're pretty weird. And the church doesn't need any more fruits, flakes, and nuts, right? So I'm not telling you not to dress cool. I'm not telling you not to be cool. I can't do anything but be cool. That's just who I am. I'm just saying. No, but what I am saying is, is at the end of the day, you need to watch who are your close relationships. If you're around foul-mouthed people, you're going to start cussing. If you run with people that, that, that cheat on their spouse, you're going to start cheating on your spouse. You're around people that, that are dishonest, you're going to become dishonest. It's just going to happen. Uh, Proverbs says that bad company corrupts good morals. And, and so part of repentance is whatever the activity, whatever the sin, whatever the area, wherever the breach is, you need to make sure that you are not connecting yourselves with people or aligning yourself or putting yourself in situations that are not healthy for you. Whether it's a place of entertainment, whether it's a relationship, whether it's an activity, whether it's whatever, you need to make sure that you safeguard and that you end those worldly connections. And some of you, that may be really extreme. 
You, you may battle alcoholism and, 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 and be an alcoholic or, or, or just be freshly into something and, and of that nature. And, and you don't even need to be around a bar because the amount of temptation you just can't handle. That doesn't mean that you're wrong. It doesn't mean that you're bad. It doesn't mean, it just means that that's your kryptonite. You know, Superman had kryptonite. That's your issue. Some of you, it's, it's where you go online. You, 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 you go to places you don't need to go. And so you need to establish some boundaries and some places. You don't need, some of you, it's the people that you run with after work. Some of you, it's business partners or it's people that you see. And I know some business guy or business gal is going, hey, this is just the world. I understand it's the world. But the Bible tells us to be careful who we're in fellowship with, to be careful who we run with. And I'm just saying, if God is able to save your rear end out of a devil's hell, do you think he can provide and help you with your employment to follow his word? Yes. It's funny how we'll trust God with eternity, but we won't trust him with a job. We'll trust him with a sweet by and by, but it's hard to trust him in the here and the now. I'm just saying, this is what the book says. So quit it. The, the, the second part of quitting it is establish godly relationships. Establish godly relationships. If you stop something in your life, you need to fill it with something. If there's something negative, you need to fill it with something positive. Acts 2.42 says this. They devoted themselves, this is speaking of the New Testament church, to the apostles' teaching, which is the word of God, and to fellowship, that's relationship with one another, and to the breaking of bread, that's they were eating, and prayer. What he's talking about here, it's just part of what we do at Life Church, and I would encourage you to do this, is why we do life groups, is that you need to be involved life on life with other people who believe what you believe and who, who run where you run and do what you do, and you need to help one another. And so, so even this, this whole month, we're, we're onboarding with new life groups. And so if you're a new person to Life Church or you've been here for 100 years, get involved in a life group. This is where life change happens. This is where transformation happens. This is how you establish godly relationships is you get out there and you get to meet people, you get to develop godly relationships. These are the people that are going to be with you, that are going to pray with you, that are going to help you, that, that, that are going to develop that. Especially, especially if you're cutting off relationships in the world, then you need to establish relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. Does that make sense? And so you need to have that because if not, you're going to sit at home alone and you're only going to do that so long and guess what? Past behavior is the best indicator of future behavior. You'll go back to what you did. The book of Proverbs says, as a dog, I know this is crass, but this is what it says. I didn't write it. As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool does to his folly. And if you don't create godly, God-honoring relationships that are healthy in your life, you'll go right back to the same activity. If you don't, if you don't replace that bad activity with something that's positive, you'll go right back to it. Make sense? So at some point, you have to develop that. And the last thing when we're talking about quitting it is establish godly disciplines. Establish godly disciplines. Get in the Word. Get in prayer. Be in church. You need it. You need the discipline of it. You need to, and it may be that you just began with, with reading a passage of Scripture. You began with something, but you just began to read God's Word. You began to pray. And there's resources that are available. You can go to the Resource Center and pick some things up. But there are resources that are available for that. If you have a hard time with that, let us know. We'll help you. Say, here's a good Bible reading program for where you are and for what you're wanting to accomplish. But you need to have that daily in your life. So admit it. Quit it. Ready for number three? Forget it. I know it's deep, isn't it? Admit it, quit it, and forget it. But this is what Scripture says when it comes to repentance. Forget it. What do you need to forget? Well, let's talk about this. First of all, you need to forsake the sin. You need to forget the sin. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. 
but the one who confesses and renounces them will find mercy. So you need to forsake. You need to forget. You need to leave that behind you. God has forgiven you. You need to leave that behind you. Forget it. The second part of forgetting it is to accept God's forgiveness. And I'm going to go back to a verse I just gave you a few minutes ago. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He, Jesus, is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Period. It's a declarative statement. It's not interrogative. He's not asking a question. He's not unforsure. It's a declarative statement. But you don't know what I've done. I don't need to know what you've done. Here's what I know. Jesus paid the price for your sins and my sins. And there's nothing that you can do, nothing that I can do, that, 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 that keeps him from loving us and forgiving us and that his blood doesn't cover. Period. This isn't an insurance policy that has holes in it. This isn't like something that you go, oh, well, we didn't cover that in your, in your gap insurance. No, everything's covered, 100%, no deductible. <laughs> you understand? It's all taken care of. You need to accept that forgiveness. Some of you keep beating yourself up over past sins. You keep beating yourself up over a mistake that you made a year ago or two years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. You seriously need to accept the forgiveness that God has given to you. He paid a price. He gave his son. Jesus gave his life. And condemnation is a perversion from the pit of hell. The Bible says, even of Jesus, that he didn't come to condemn the world. John 3, 17 says, For Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. There is no place for condemnation in the life of a Christ follower. I'm telling you, condemnation is from, 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 from Satan. Now, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is, I probably shouldn't do that. Conviction is, is you know what, there's sin. I've crossed some lines. Condemnation is, is that I've already asked God to forgive me, and I've already done 1 John 1, 19, or 1 John 1, 9, but I'm having a hard time getting over it, and I feel bad. Again, that's remorse. Remorse doesn't change anything. I feel bad about it. I feel condemned. And the Bible says that it's not God that condemns you. It's your sin that condemns you. Where does sin come from? From Satan. It's your own actions. It's my own actions. It's our depraved fleshly nature. And so when you feel condemnation, you need to go back to this verse. That's why I gave it to you. And say, that's not what it says, devil. It says, because he's the one that's accuser of the brethren, the Bible says. Satan is the one that will bring all this stuff up of your past. And go, it says I'm forgiven. Period. I'm going to rest in that. And when we come before God and we go, oh God, I'm just so sorry about the sin I committed six months ago. I know I've asked you to forgive me, but it, I just can't let it go. And God goes, what sin? Because the Bible says when God forgives you of your sins, he remembers it no more. It's cast as far as the east is from the west, which means the east and the west never meet. It's buried at the bottom of the ocean, never to be seen again. And so when you bring it up to God, God goes, Aaron, what are you talking about? Because all he sees is the blood of his son. It covers my sin. He, doesn't, he sees me as pure and righteous. He doesn't see my, my faults and my failures when I confess my sin to him. Period. And again, it goes back to this ideology that sometimes we get that we're like, well, you know, man, I feel really bad. And, but, and so if I feel bad, then maybe I'm kind of paying for my sins. No, Jesus Christ paid it all. It is finished. What you're trying to do is add works, add penance to what you're doing, and you think that your sorrow will help you. It helps you none. It's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to entrap you. And I know there's people in the room that go, well, brother, but that's a slippery slope, isn't it? 
I don't know why I get that voice when I talk like that. No, it's called grace. Why do you stay committed to your marriage? Because the law says you have to? No, because you love that person. Or you're scared they're going to kill you if you step out, but you love that person. It's love. It's a relationship, isn't it? See, the Bible says that grace was able to do for us with our relationship with God what the law was unable to do. The law was a bunch of rules that we can never fulfill. But grace says you don't deserve it. The word grace means unmerited favor, undeserved favor. But I'm going to take care of it. And that's the last thing I want to talk about, about forget it. Walk free from condemnation. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, not perfect, that's not what it says. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there should be no condemnation in your life. And if you allow that into your life, shame on you. That's your decision. You want to wallow in that stuff? That's your problem. But that's a very perverted, self-inflicting, painful way to live, and it's not God's way. And you will be bound. It binds you to your sin. Grace, let me help you understand this. When I was a kid, I'd have a smart mouth. I know that's hard to imagine. And uh, I'd pop off and whatever and da-da-da-da, and, and I'd get grounded. And grounded for me was horrible because I'm a social person. Imagine that. So I could see the kids playing ball, pick up ball down the street, 3905 Ridgeway Drive, Fort Smith, Arkansas. They were down at Scotty Phillips' house. They were playing to pick up football game. I should be in that game. I was all-time quarterback yesterday. I should be that today. And, but my mother is messing up my game because I have a smart mouth. I know I have a smart mouth. I shouldn't have a smart mouth, but I, here I am. And I can hear them. And, I'm in my, and the more I hear them, the matter I get. I can't watch television. I can't do anything. And it's, it's 19, you know, it's 1978, 1981. There's, it's, I mean, we're glad that we have a color television with 13 channels. Remember the day? Okay, so this AT&T U-verse screen time. So anyhow, so the reality is, is I'm sitting there and I'm hearing this and it's a whole day and I've got to do that and I get mad and I stomp and there's really not anything I could do. And I go through my baseball cards a couple of times and, and, uh, I collect baseball cards. I, it's the past time I've had, so I've got unreal rookie cards. Unreal. They don't cost as worth as much as what they used to be, but I'm praying that they'll come back. So anyhow, so I, I'm going, and you just kind of, you're in your room, you're just kind of stuck, right? I can't play Atari. Anybody else? Atari 2600? Frogger? Pitfall? Right? Guess what I'm talking about? Pac-Man. Take me back. All right, so anyhow, so I'm doing, I can't do any of this kind of stuff. I'm here. She brings lunch to my room. I don't like the lunch because I have a bad attitude, because I had a smart mouth, because I'm here. My friends are playing ball. I hear them coming to the door. Can Aaron come out? We're going to go ride bikes, and we're going to go do this, and we're going to go to Sutton Pond, which is where we'd go ride bikes, and there were trails and ramps and all this other kind of cool stuff that we did. And, and so, no, he can't come, and, I, and that would just make me mad, and the whole deal. End of the day, mom has meatloaf. I don't want to eat meatloaf. I have to eat at my room. I hear them all eating there, laughing and talking. My little brother is taunting me like, oh, what's Aaron? You're such a loser. And, you know, that kind of a deal. And I'm just, you know, it's 1,100 square foot ranch, just like most of you grew up in. And the whole deal. And I'm just, oh, and I can't come out. And I can't do anything. And this is torturous. And it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like my dad walks in and says, hey, get ready. You're going to go with me. What? I'm grounded. Mom said I'm grounded. I got a smart mouth. I know you got a smart mouth. I'm going to talk to you about that in a minute, but right now you're going to come with me. All right, whatever. You don't want to come with me? You want to say, no, 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 sir, no, sir. I, I, want, to, I want to get out of here. I'm, solitary is it's hard on a man to be in solitary confinement like this. 
and we get in the truck, where are we going to go? Just, just, just ride, Aaron. You, you don't need to know everything. Just ride. That, you, your mouth will get you in trouble. That stupid mouth of yours, that's what going to get you in trouble again. Just, just be quiet and ride. So we ride. And all of a sudden, we pull up. And it's my favorite ice cream place. And Dad says, we're going to have ice cream. But, but Dad, I, I, I understand you got a smart mouth. I know that. And I know you've been in your room all day. I know the kids have been playing ball. They've been coming around. You can't go, all that kind of stuff. And we're going to talk about your smart mouth in a minute. And I'm hoping we're not going to talk with a belt. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that's how my dad liked to communicate. <laughs> and he said, but, but we're going to go have ice cream. You don't deserve ice cream. I shouldn't give you ice cream. But I know it's your favorite flavor of the day today. So we're going to have ice cream. So let's go order. That's grace. I don't deserve it. I should be stuck. I should be dead in my own transgressions and my own smart mouth. But the father comes in and goes, I have the ability to lift it. I have the ability to change the ruling. I have the ability to absorb the penalty. That's grace. And that's something that we may need to make sure of in our own life, that we are walking and operating in grace and that we understand the grace of the father. And that we understand that his grace is sufficient for every one of our weaknesses. It's not a welcome act that I just go live my life the way I want to and then just ask God to forgive me. Although will he? Yes, because he's bound by his word. But that's not why he intended it. But when I am in doing life and I make a poor decision or I make a mistake or I sin or I crash and burn big time, baby. He is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from not some, not partially, not a little bit, not 99.9%, but all of my sins and all of my unrighteousness. So that when I stand before him, I don't stand before him flawed or maimed or hurt or second rate. But I stand before him as a son or a daughter of the most high God. And he knows my sins, but he holds it not against me because he doesn't see it. He sees the blood that his son shed on the cross for my sins. And so there's no condemnation in my life. The guilt is gone. The pain is gone. The chains are gone. And I can live free. That's the good news. Amen. That's repentance. That's repentance. Isn't repentance a good thing? It's a great thing. It is a stinking awesome thing. It is so much more awesome than it seems on your face right now. It's awesome. And we've read this like it's some cosmic killjoy mandate from God, this drudgery like it's some Gregorian chant that I have to live out in my life. No, it's life-giving, it's peace-giving, it's joy-filled, it's the way that I'm in right relationship with God. And if I need to use it one time a day or 77 times a day, it doesn't matter. It never runs dry. Now, let me end real quick. I'm, I'm, I'm really out of time. I want to hit this very quickly. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. How do you know if repentance is in your life or you see signs of repentance in someone's life? I didn't come up with this. Uh, it's a, uh, a teacher, Jim Butcher. I'm going to give him some props on this. I've read this passage a gazillion times. I've never seen this, but this is amazing. 
just want you to see this. Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, what's happening is John the Baptist is the precursor to Jesus. He's the one that prepares the way. He has a message of repentance, and his message is repent because Jesus Christ is coming. Get your life ready because Jesus Christ is coming. So that's his message. As he's preparing this message, he's baptizing people that are repenting of their sins and getting prepared for the Messiah that's about to come. And while this is happening, the religious leaders of the day, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and, and they were jacked up people. They were the kind of people that looked like they were great on the outside, but on the inside, they were all full of sin and, and self-righteousness and all of that junk. And so they're watching this from a distance. Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. Many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to the place where John was baptizing. And when John saw them, he said, you are snakes. He dropped it like it was hot. You know what I'm saying right there? That's awesome. Who warned you to run away from God's coming punishment? Look at verse 8. Do the things that show you really have changed hearts and lives. What are those things? Look at verse 9, 10, 11. Don't think that you can say to yourself, well, Abraham is our father. And, tell, and tell you, I can tell you that God could take children from Abraham from these rocks. The axe is now ready to cut down the trees. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. These are allegories here. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one, he's speaking of Jesus, that's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, for he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I love this. Because he gets all up in the pots and he rattles the pots and pans of these religious people because they don't understand grace. They don't understand repentance. And let me tell you something. Religious people in the church will never understand grace and repentance. Religious people in the church will stand there and they will mock and they will point and they will gripe and they will murmur and they will complain. And because we have a tendency to judge people from our own point of strength, not from our own weakness. So if I don't deal with, with, with any kind of like uh, substance addiction, I want to judge people that are struggling with alcoholism or tobacco or, 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 or drug use or whatever it may be. I, if, 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 if I don't deal with any kind of sexual immorality, I want to judge people that do that. The problem is, is that when you read in the book of Galatians and it talks about the people that are going to go to hell between the whore, I didn't write the book, and between the idolater, the person that this committing adultery between those two people is the gossip and the liar, which the church is full of. It's those religious people, just like these people that John called snakes, and they sit around and they gripe and they complain because things aren't hard enough, it's too easy, the gospel's too soft, blah, 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 blah. And John just says, you're a bunch of snakes because you don't have repentance. You don't understand. You teach repentance, but you don't get it. And he talks about in verse 9, 10, and 11, what are the signs of repentance? First of all, humility. Humility, verse number nine. You want to, they want to power up and say they're a descendant of Abraham because they're a descendant of Abraham. They're spiritually more superior than I am. And people that truly have repentance heart, repentant hearts walk with a sense of humility. If you've been forgiven much, you're very grateful. But in the church, oh my goodness, we want to ride in our high horses like I haven't really committed a gross sin in 20 years. Well, wow, look at you. You get a, you know, a star and a box of Mars bars. What do you want? A medal or a chest dependent on? We do this. And we look down on people. And then sometimes there have been people that have been redeemed much. And in a worship service, they're very expressive. Why? Because if you went through the devil's hell they went through to get where they are, you'd be doing jumping jacks too, baby. The reality is, is that there's a sense of humility that comes. God, I'm not worthy. And it's not a false sense of humility. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a, a, a I'm groveling or I'm low, but it's, I'm so grateful and thankful. 
I shouldn't be where I am, but by the grace of God, I am. Second sign, urgency. Urgency. If you truly are repentant, you want to deal with your sin. You want to deal with issues. Verse 10, uh, part A, the axe is now ready to cut down the trees. Again, this is an analogy. He's talking about the, the issues of their life. If you truly are a person that's walking in repentance, you will deal with your sin urgently. You may fail miserably, but you will deal with it urgently. The next sign is change. Again, it's part of this analogy that, that change, that every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be thrown down and cut into the fire. That if there's things in your life that don't need to be there, if you're truly repentant, you'll deal with them every single time without, without fail. And, and verse 11, it's dependence upon Jesus. That if you, are, if you really are repentant, you will depend upon Jesus. John says, I'm not even worthy to carry Jesus' sandals. I'm completely dependent upon him. So today, what are you doing with your missteps, with your mistakes, with your sin? Are you concealing it? Are you trying to hide it? Are you walking in condemnation and guilt over it? Or are you dealing with it? Are you wallowing in remorse? Because remember, remorse won't change you. Only repentance will change you. Remorse may make you feel sorry for, but it doesn't change anything. Repentance says, I'm not going to let what I did before stop me from doing what God wants me to do now. I am turning away from my sin. I'm going to turn towards God. I cannot change my past, but I can change my future. And remember, you are not what you did. You are who God says that you are. Father, I just thank you today in the name of Jesus for the life that's in your word, for the strength that's in your word, for the blessing that you are. I thank you, Lord, that, Lord, this, this R-E word, this re-word to go back or again, this, this word repentance that just means to turn or to change. Oh God, I thank you that you give us a way to restore our sin-sick souls. You give us a way to, to restore right relationship with you. You understand that, God, we are flesh and that we're, God, we're, we're flawed. All of us, I'm flawed. I shouldn't be standing on this stage. But by your grace, by your grace. And I pray, Lord, today as we respond to you, Lord, hear us. God, forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.